God is great. And it's great to sing great songs about him, isn't it? Well, friends, we are uh, about three weeks into the new year now. And I was wondering how y'all are doing with your New Year's resolutions. How are we doing with our New Year's resolutions so far? Let me ask you, uh, anybody brave enough, how about a show of hands? How many of you made fitness-related New Year's resolutions this year? Anybody make any fitness-related New Year's resolutions, diet-related? Yeah, a few of you out there. Okay. All right, good. Yeah, I see some big hands up front there, up top there. Uh, I, I got to admit, I'm not doing too good on my New Year's resolution. Um, I, I, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news... Back in October, I went on a diet, and from October through Christmas, I ended up losing 25 pounds. That's pretty darn good, huh? Now, that's the good news. The bad news, however, is since Christmas, I've gained about 10 of it back. Uh, you know, I just couldn't help myself, those Christmas cookies, and, and then I tried to get back on it. And then, of course, Bev makes sweet potato pie for the staff last week, and I ate about half of that. And, and uh, so, you know, my, my diet has pretty much uh, been shot at this point. But I'm trying to get back on it. And, you know, as we talk about, you know, New Year's resolutions and diets and fitness and health, uh, it's a, we live in a culture today that really puts a lot of emphasis on our physical fitness and, 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 and our health. And, and that's good. Uh, it can also be bad at times. It can become a, an unhealthy obsession for some people. But, but physical fitness is an important thing. It's a good thing. We want to be healthy. We want to take care of our physical bodies. And today, though, we're not going to be talking about our physical fitness. We're going to be talking about our spiritual health and fitness, our spiritual health and fitness. Not only our physical bodies, but we also, as Christians, belong and are a part of a greater body. We're part of a spiritual body known as the body of Christ, the church. As followers of Jesus, we belong to the body of Christ, the church. And while it is important for us to be concerned about our physical health, the reality is these physical bodies that we possess, they're only temporary. Okay? They're going to pass away. In fact, the Bible in 2 Corinthians 5.1, the Apostle Paul calls them just earthly tents. They're just temporary dwellings that we live in. All right? So while it's important for us to care about our physical well-being and our physical health, as Christians, we need to remember that we are part of a body that is much bigger. And it's a body that's going to live for eternity. And so while we should care about our physical well-being, it's important to remember, friends, God is most concerned with our spiritual well-being. And we too should be primarily concerned with the spiritual health and well-being of this spiritual body that we're a part of, known as the church. Our spiritual health and fitness as the body of Christ matters. In fact, take a look at what First uh, Timothy 4 eight tells us about spiritual training. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, friends, the spiritual health of the body of Christ. Now, before we get into our passage for this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, I just want to give you a, a quick review of where we are in our study of the book of Ephesians. Remember, friends, when you study the word of God, context is important. Okay? We want to understand where we are in the scope of this whole letter that Paul has written. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians for the last few weeks uh, and, and primarily been focused on chapters 1 through 3 up to this point. Chapters 1 through 3, if you recall, if you look on the front of your worship guide, the theme of our series is from the throne room to the battlefield. That's what the book of Ephesians is all about. In chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul has had us up in the throne room. He's revealed to us the incredible spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, the incredible privileges that we have been given as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and we have this incredible inheritance, this incredible blessing that is ours as a result of what Christ has done for us. And as a result of our faith and trust in him. So we've been in the throne room. And then last week, if you recall, we, we looked at this prayer, this transition prayer that the Apostle Paul prays where he says, Lord, this is who your people are. And now, Lord, I'm going to pray that they would be uh, filled to all the fullness with you, God. And Paul prayed last week for our spiritual blessing and empowerment to know the truths of who we are so that we might go and live them out now. And that's where we are now in the book of Ephesians. We're making this turn, this transition from the throne room 
out to the battlefield. Paul is going to commission us to go out into the world and put this stuff into practice now, to go and live for Christ. In other words, where we are in the letter today is Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you have the truth, you have the empowerment, now go out and live out this high calling in your lives. And what we're going to see today, friends, is that Paul begins this commission half of the letter our mission, our assignment, he begins it by telling the Ephesians that living out our faith, it begins with us. It begins with us, the body of Christ, the members of the church. And it begins first and foremost with the spiritual health displayed within us, within the body of Christ, the church. You see, friends, it's important for us to understand if we're ever going to impact the world for Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we are spiritually fit and healthy ourselves first. And so this is what we're going to be looking at today. Paul gives us some helpful guidance here at the start of chapter 4. Helpful guidance for how we might build up the body of Christ. Friends, did you know that God has called you to be a bodybuilder? You ever thought about that? He has. He's called you to be a bodybuilder. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, what I want to do here, I want to take a look at this passage. We're going to read it together, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. And then I want to come back and I want to share some highlights for you from this passage where Paul shares with us how we might have a healthy body. All right, so take a look with me, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Now, friends, we got a short section of verses here, but there's a lot of powerful truth that Paul reveals to us in regards to how we might live and display a healthy, fit body of Christ. Let's look at three keys for a healthy body that Paul reveals to us here in these six verses. And again, we're talking about the body of Christ. How to have a healthy body, the body of Christ. The first key that Paul reveals here in these verses is he tells us we need to walk daily. We need to walk daily. Now, health experts today recommend at least 30 minutes of walking each day. I was watching the news yesterday afternoon, as a matter of fact, and on the news, they actually had a, a story on the news how new surveys are showing, new studies are showing that, that lack, of, lack of daily exercise is actually more detrimental to our health than is being overweight. Doctors are now saying it's more important that you exercise regularly than it is to even worry about your body weight. It's the physical movement and activity that's important for us. And, and they recommend at least 30 minutes of walking each day to keep our bodies healthy. Now, there are all kinds of different walks. And, you know, if you drive home today, you'll probably see people walking down your uh, sidewalk in your neighborhood. Uh, if you go to the mall, you know, you'll see people walking the mall for exercise. We have even people that come here to our church each week and walk the halls of our church. They walk the gym to keep fit for exercise. And there's all kinds of different walks. You know, you got the people who do the power walk, you know, and then you got some people who do the speed walk, you know, and they're just cruising down the street. There's all kinds of different walks. And just as we're encouraged to walk for our physical health and well-being, Paul here this morning admonishes us to walk for our spiritual health. But friends, Paul isn't talking about a power walk. He's not talking about a speed walk. He's talking about our spiritual walk. Okay, Take a look at verse 1 again. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life, parentheses, to walk worthy of the calling you've received. Paul tells us to walk worthy of the calling we've received. Now, this first key for a healthy body has to do with us as individuals. You see, for the body to be healthy, Paul says that we must first, each individually, make a commitment to live or to walk worthy of the calling we've received. Now, I inserted this parenthesis here, this walk, because different translations translate Paul's words here differently. The NIV translates it to live worthy, 
live a life worthy of the calling you received. Some other translations translate it to walk worthy of the calling you've received. Okay? I prefer walk. Let me tell you why. The Greek word that Paul uses is the word peripateo. And the word peripateo that Paul uses here, it means to make one's way, to progress, or to conduct yourself, to conduct one's life. And this word can be translated either way. It can be translated as both live or walk. But either way, what Paul is describing here is a word that implies action. Paul is saying action is required. And for me, I like walk because walk just sounds more active. I mean, you know, you can sit on your lazy boy at home and live. You know what I'm saying? But Paul is saying our faith is about going. It's, it's about walking. It's about activity. And walk just sounds more active. So I'm going to go with that one this morning. Paul is calling us to an active faith. You know, friends, you need to understand this. There is no such thing in the Bible as a Christian couch potato. Okay, you know that? You won't find that concept anywhere in the Bible. There's no such thing in Scripture as a Christian couch potato. We are called to an active faith, a motivated faith, a faith that goes out and exercises itself. All right? I, I run into a lot of people as a pastor. They'll come to me uh, and, you know, and I'll hear this regularly from people. People will say, Jason, you know, I, I, I'm just not feeling God's presence in my life. I, I, I just don't see God working in my life. I, I don't feel his power doing anything in my life. And, you know, a lot of times as I talk to people who express those kinds of sentiments to me, I'll find that in talking to them, I'll ask them, you know, well, what are you doing for your faith? What are you doing to live out your faith? And more often than not, these folks who share these ideas, you know, these sentiments of not feeling God working or moving or doing anything in their life, I come to discover that they're not really doing anything with their faith. In a sense, many of us, we kind of just sit around like Christian couch potatoes and we say, oh Lord, you know, fill me God, bless me God, let me feel your power, let me feel your spirit. But friends, God works in us as we work at exercising our faith. See, that's the key. Last week, if you recall, we talked about how God empowers us through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But God empowers us, friends, so that we might walk. You got to understand that. Christianity is a moving faith. It's a doing faith. Jesus commissioned us to go. Go into all the world. That's, that's an active verb. So, friends, we need to walk. But it's not just any walk that Paul is calling us to. Paul is calling us to a worthy walk. Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. The word worthy that Paul uses, the Greek word is axios. It's where we get our English word axiom from. And what it refers to, friends, is an equal measure. All right? I want you to picture a balancing scale. What Paul is talking about here, he's talking about an equal measure. He's saying, this is what you've been given. Okay, this is the weightiness. This is the privilege. This is the calling you've been given. Now I want you to live your life worthy of that calling. And in equal measure to that calling. This is the incredible privilege and blessing you've been given. Now live your life equal to that calling. Let your practice match your position. That's what Paul's calling us to here. This past summer, a friend of mine was here at home. Uh, some of you guys know. Uh, some of you guys know Tyler Carey, or I'm sorry, Zachary Carey. Uh, Zach Carey is a military policeman uh, at uh, Fort Riley down in Kansas. Zach is the son of uh, Mark and Terry Carey. Some of you guys know him, and uh, he's a military policeman. And as a military policeman, his job in the armed forces is to uphold the standards of conduct for servicemen and women. Okay, that's what one of the main jobs of the military police is upholding the standards of conduct for servicemen and women. Well, I was talking to Zachary out in the hall here this last summer, and uh, he was just dressed in plain clothes, civilian clothes, and we were catching up on life. And out of the corner of our eyes, Zach spotted a, another young man who was wearing uh, an army uniform, his army fatigues. And all of a sudden, Zach just goes marching off down the hall. He says, Jason, excuse me, I got to go take care of something. He goes marching off down the hall uh, right in front of my office. Now, if this young man is here, I don't want to embarrass him because his, his response was very, uh, was very uh, appropriate. And, but, uh, but Zach goes marching off down the hall towards this young man. 
And, uh, and I could tell that this young man, you know, as Zach tapped him on the shoulder and started talking to him, he kind of got this sheepish look on his face and kind of hung his head, you know, and, and then, you know, very politely shook his head in agreement. And, and Zach comes walking back to me, and I said, Zach, what was all that about? And, and Zach said to me, well, you know, I noticed this guy, and he was an ROTC cadet, and he's wearing his Army uniform out in public, but he didn't have it buttoned up right. He didn't have his hair cut, cut to standards. And I told him he needs to take a little more pride in that uniform if he's going to wear it out in public. You see, friends, this is what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about, he's saying to us, remember who you are. Remember the incredible blessings that you've been given. Now conduct your lives in keeping with that high calling. In other words, just like Zach said to that ROTC cadet, let your practice match your position. This is who you are. Now go out and live up to that high standard, to that high calling. Now friends, remember, this isn't about salvation. Paul's writing to people who are already Christians. Back in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we saw that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Okay? We don't live for the sake of our salvation. We're not trying to prove our worthiness to God. We already have that. We already have that. We already have this incredible privilege of being in salvation, of, of all the blessings that come with that. Paul is saying, look, at this is what you have. Now go out and let your practice match your position. As followers of Christ, we've been called to live our lives in light of eternity for the sake of the gospel. And you know what? There is no more noble calling in the world. There's nothing greater than this high calling that we've been given. So friends, let me encourage us this morning. Let's remember this incredible position that we hold as followers of Christ. And let's commit to walking daily in obedience to the Lord. Paul says this is the first key to a healthy body. Now the second key to a healthy body that Paul reveals for us here in Ephesians chapter 4, he says we need to work out consistently. We need to work out consistently. Now friends, if you're going to be a bodybuilder, you've got to work out. Okay? There's no magic pill, there's no special workout drinks. I remember when I was in college, I used to work out a lot. You know, back when I was a single guy, I wanted to get all buff, you know, to impress the ladies there down at Bethel University. And so my buddies and I, we'd go out to the gym, we'd work out. We'd go down to GNC at Rosedale and, you know, we'd buy all these different pills and supplements and workout drinks. And, and friends, I'll tell you something, all that stuff, there's a place for that. But at the end of the day, if you want to get buff, you got to put in the time. You got to put in the commitment. You got to hit the gym. You need to work out. There's no other way around it. And I'll tell you something, the same thing is true for our spiritual body, the church. To have a healthy spiritual body as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to intentionally commit to selflessly living for the good of one another. We need to work out. That is, we need to look beyond ourselves. We need to burn the fat of self-centeredness. And we need to practice and others motivated faith. Look at what Paul says in verses two through three. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Friends, Paul reveals here that Christianity is an others motivated faith. And as he points out here, that begins when believers commit to living in humility. And when we live in humility, humility leads to gentleness, gentleness to patience, patience to love. And friends, that's how the body experiences unity. The key to a healthy church, friends, is that we might all commit to walking first in humility. Paul uses an interesting term for humility here. The word for humility that Paul uses is tepe frosune. Tepeno frosune. And what it means is a lowliness of mind, an unassuming attitude, an unpretentious attitude. What's interesting about this word that Paul uses, this is fascinating. There is no record, friends, of a positive use of this term for humility in the ancient Roman or Greek literature until after the second century BC, until well after Christianity had established itself in the Greco-Roman world. 
There's no positive use of this term outside of Christian, Christian writing. And the very few times it's used in the secular literature in the ancient world, it's used derisively, mockingly, as a term fit only for a slave or a prisoner. You see, friends, in the ancient world, humility was viewed as a sign of weakness, something to be pitied, something only a fool would pursue. You know, things haven't changed a whole lot in our day and age, have they? Our culture says live for yourself, pamper yourself, pursue your desires first. But you see, friends, that's the problem. You're never going to experience healthy relationships if you're first and foremost focused on yourself. In contrast to what the world elevates as our ultimate goal, God admonishes us to die to self and to live for the sake of others. That's humility. Pastor Tim Keller describes humility like this. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Friends, that's humility. Thinking of ourselves less. And why is humility so important for the Christian? Well, two reasons. First, humility puts us in right relation to God. Friends, what is the opposite of humility? Pride, right? Pride. It's the original sin, and it's the root of all other sins. Pride is saying to God, I know better than you. And of course, every time we sin, we are saying to God, I know better than you. Friends, humility is our acknowledgement of our rightful standing in relation to God. It's the recognition that he is God and I am not. And for that reason alone, he's worthy of my devotion, my obedience, my entire life. The reason humility is important for the Christian is because humility puts us in right relation to one another. Right relation to one another. Friends, the root of all relational conflict, it's pride. It's pride. It's elevating ourselves and our desires over those of the other person. I want you to think this morning. Think about all of the different relational conflicts you've experienced in your own life. You know, maybe relational conflicts in your marriage with your husband, with your wife. Relational conflicts with your kids. Relational conflicts with your brother or sister. Relational conflicts with coworkers. Friends, when you think about all the relational conflicts in your life, what's at the heart of all of them? It's pride. Am I right? Don't be proud now. Admit it. I'm right. <laughs> right? At the end of the day, these conflicts boil down to pride. And friends, the antidote to these conflicts, conflict with God, conflict with others, it's humility. It's thinking of ourselves less and putting the desires of God and others first. And you know something? Our model for this, the greatest model for this, is, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, writing the book of Philippians, he says this, uh, referring to our model for humility. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. Do we have it on the slide? Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Uh, go back one more, please. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, Paul says that we need to imitate Christ's humility. We need to think of ourselves less and put others first in our lives, just as Christ did. Humility is the root of all the other Christian virtues that ultimately produce a healthy body. Out of the life of humility comes the virtues of gentleness, patience, love. And friends, when these things are present, there is unity in the body. 
And when there's unity in the body, the body will be healthy, friends. And that is a powerful thing. One of the greatest testimonies to the truth of the gospel, to a watching world, is when Christians walk in humility and love for one another. Friends, the world doesn't get that. But I'll tell you something else. When the world doesn't see us living in humility and love for one another, this is one of the greatest hindrances to the advancement of the gospel. Because the world does get that. They call it hypocrisy. And they see it all the time. And there is nothing special about that. So friends, let me encourage us today. Let's burn the fat of self-centeredness. And let's commit to living in humility and love for one another. Is there a relationship in your life that you need to mend? Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Have you been refusing love to another brother or sister because it conflicted with your own self-interest? Friends, as you think about your relationships today, if you find yourself in those conflicts... God would call you today to repent of your pride and to go and make that relationship right. Seek forgiveness if it means seeking forgiveness. Grant forgiveness if it means granting forgiveness. But this is what God calls us to for the sake of a healthy body. I pray you will. And I promise you, you won't regret it. The third key to a healthy body, Paul tells us we need to maintain our core. Paul says, maintain your core. Friends, a strong core is vital to a healthy body. You'll, talk, you'll hear fitness experts talking about maintaining a strong core all the time. What they're talking about is referring to our abdominals, our lower back, those stomach muscles that basically hold the rest of the body upright and in place and keep us healthy. And if your core is not right, it's going to affect everything else in your body. You know, when you think about having a strong core, what's the image that comes to mind? I mean, for me, the image that comes to mind first and foremost is the six-pack. You know what I'm saying? Our world always elevates, the, you know, the, having a six-pack, you know, those ripped washboard abs. Uh, friends, I've never been able to get the six-pack. I've always ended up with the fanny pack. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, I don't know how that works out. But, but uh, the good news for us as believers, though, the good news for us as believers is God has given us something better than a six-pack. As the body of Christ, God has given us a seven-pack. He's given us a seven-pack. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul concludes our passage today on the health of the body of the church by reminding us of these seven essential gospel truths we profess as Christians. The core, the core of our faith. He says we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We have this seven pack as believers. And the reason Paul highlights these seven essential beliefs for us is because Paul wants to emphasize for us that the unity of the church is ultimately based in the reality of the unity of God and his revealed truth to men and women. In other words, Apart from the knowledge of God and his truth, we have no hope for unity. We have no hope for a healthy body. I don't know if you've ever put together Legos before. How many of you guys are friends, fans of Legos, right? I, I tell you something, one of the greatest joys of being a dad is getting the chance to play with Legos again, right? This, uh, this past Christmas, we got a couple new Lego sets for Christmas, and I was helping my son Caleb put together one of his new Lego sets. I think it was a police station or something, and we're putting together this police station, and, and we get about halfway through the instructions, and for some reason, the, the building just wasn't coming together. The parts weren't matching up right, and so I went back, and I turned back a few pages in the Lego set to try to figure out what was going on, and sure enough, a few pages back, there, were a whole, there was a handful of pieces, and out of the handful of pieces, the set instructed me to put together, I had missed one of these important pieces. And missing one of these important pieces ended up throwing the whole rest of the set totally out of whack. Okay? Friends, a healthy church is characterized by unity. And unity is rooted in God's truth. 
And it's just like when you're building a Lego set, a Lego set won't come together without the right pieces in the right places. And so too, the body of Christ won't function in health without being rooted and established in the essential truths that God has given us. Friends, this is why we as a church here at Lakes Free, we hold to a high view of the authority of Scripture. We believe this stuff. We take it seriously. We profess this. We teach this. We proclaim it because we believe that the revealed truths that God has given us are our only hope. God's truth is our only hope. We agree with John, John 1, 4, that in him, in Jesus, is life. And that life was the light, the hope of men and women. And so we take it seriously, friends. And Paul here reminds us of these essential gospel truths. Paul gives us these essential gospel truths, reminding us of them. They're not just our hope, friends, but they're the hope of the entire world. And our world today needs the hope of Jesus more than ever. You know, you turn on the nightly news each night and we see a world that's racked by strife and discord and disunity. And this is why Paul tells us as the church to maintain your core. Because it's the faith that we profess, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope for the world. This past week, one of the greatest gospel legends of gospel music, contemporary Christian music, passed away. A guy by the name of Andre Crouch. You guys remember Andre Crouch? Incredible singer and songwriter. Andre Crouch wrote a great song years ago called Jesus is the Answer. I'd encourage you to go home, look it up on YouTube, listen to it today. Bless your heart. Andre Crouch, he's saying Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. You remember that song, friends? Friends, Jesus is the answer. And this is why the health of the body, the church, matters. Because we are God's ambassadors to the world. We are the hands and feet of Christ for the world. And when the world sees God's people living and ministering in health, I tell you what, there is no more powerful force in the world. And so, friends, as we close today, I want to pray I want to pray together that God's spirit would empower us as a church to live and to love and to minister in health. Let's pray for that individually. Let's pray for that for one another collectively. And let's pray that God would use this body, our church, Lakes Free, as a united, healthy, fit body that goes out and proclaims the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. Please pray with me this morning. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for the powerful truths that we're given here in the book of Ephesians. We thank you for the hope that we have, the hope that we profess, and the truths of the gospel, your revealed truths, who you are, Lord, and, and the salvation, the hope that we have in you. God, one of the great joys of the hope that we have is experiencing unity in the body of Christ. And Lord, I thank you that, Lord, by and large, we have experienced that unity here in our church, Lord. And I would pray that you would protect that unity, that you would continue to foster that unity, Lord, that we would be a spiritually fit church that lives and loves and ministers out of health, Lord, out of healthy relationships, out of humility, out of mutual love for one another. God, that's a powerful force to our world today. Our world today is just broken in disunity, Lord. God, let us be a model of hope as we live and love faithfully one another, as we live and love faithfully our God. Let the world see that. Let them be compelled and drawn by that, Lord. Give us your empowerment to live like that, to love one another, and to display your hope to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.